0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This passage of Scripture was um, something that the Lord put upon my heart for you guys and for Numa Church uh, over recent weeks um, on holidays, and I, I just feel it's so critical that we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this day. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to speak to you tonight on on the idea, the call to persevere, the call to persevere. I believe the Lord is coming to us tonight and he's calling us as a church, as individuals to persevere because there is a promise to possess this year. Back in um, 2014, I did uh, something very silly. I trained and competed in the 2014 Ironman, my Ironman Triathlon in Melbourne. And for those who may not be familiar, it's 3.8-kilometer um, open water swim. 180 kilometre bike ride and a 42 kilometre marathon run and so why anyone would do that I do not know but I got inspired 12 months before watching these athletes cross the finish line and so I got a coach and I trained and I survived the swim I didn't get eaten by sharks not sure that would be the same in Western Australia Um, I survived the bike ride went really well got to the 25 kilometre mark of the marathon. And many runners, particularly marathon runners, know the experience of what they call hitting the wall. And so it doesn't matter how much willpower you got and how much you're psyched up and you're you willing your body, um, everything sort of just spirals down. The energizer batteries run out and you, every step just feels like you know, you're trying to run through mud. And that's where I was for 12 kilometres. A a good fast pace went down to a a very embarrassing shuffle. And it didn't matter how many people were screaming and yelling at me from the sideline. I'm like, I'm trying, my body's not going. I'd hit the wall. And I remember five to four kilometres from the finish line as we're running along the coast, I could hear the music at the finish line reverberating off the water that was next to me and immediately images of my friends and family waiting for me. And then images of hamburgers came to mind. And then images of being in the pool at the hotel that we'd planned to reward ourselves at the end came to mind. And I thought, we've got to do better than shuffle across the finish line. It's amazing what will motivate you. To get your butt moving and into gear. And I don't know what it was, but I got my second win, whether it was semantics, psychology, or actually my body came good. Um, but that last four or 5K were glorious as we crossed the finish line and we had a good hamburger at the end of it. You know, in scripture, faith is likened to a race or an athletic contest. We see this metaphor all through the new testament and in fact in 1 corinthians 9:24 it says don't you know all the runners run but only one receives the prize so run to win in other words if we are going to live this this life of faith and run this race of faith we're to run it in such a way that we win now we're not competing against anyone else we're not in competition with each other we as Numa Church aren't in a competition with any other church. We're not trying to compete or up one on anybody else. But there is such the, the, the climate, the, the, the temperature, the conditions of the Christian life is that you actually need to adopt a focus, a posture, a, a, an approach to your walk with God that sees you cross, cross the finish line of your faith. Now, there's been a great book written called The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith. And in the fourth stage of the life of faith, as these authors outline, and I've tested it and studied it, pretty much mirrors both the Scriptures and many believers' journeys in faith, is we encounter something called the wall. And the wall is an encounter between our will and God's will. And what happens in that encounter is that there's friction, there's conflict, there's an uncovering and a revealing of our deep, deepest secrets, our deepest wounds, and our deepest fears. And so um, what often happens is that apart from Christ, our default response to encountering the wall will tend to reflect our personality. And so depending upon whether you're a fight or a flight, type of personality, what you're wiring is you may try to scale the wall. You may try to burrow underneath it. You may try to find a sneaky way around it. Others may actually run away from the wall and just try to ignore it. Meanwhile, it's there knocking on the door of our heart saying, I'm still here. You can ignore me as much as you want. I'm still here. You've got to actually face up to the wall, and work out with God how you're going to respond to it. And so no matter how hard we try to avoid the wall or defeat the wall, we have to persevere with God through it. If we want to taste of the fruit on the other side in our faith journey with the Lord. And so without going through the psychological and spiritual healing and surrender and forgiveness that is required to go through the wall, we will not come into that place of health and wholeness in Christ that we actually need to come out on the other side. Now it's important you understand the context of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was written, to first century believers who'd hit a wall of doubt about their faith in Jesus. They were um, under intense persecution and massive pressure to actually forsake their first love, forsake their faith in Jesus and retreat and return to an an old observance of the Mosaic law. Try and relate to God through religious works according to the traditions and commandments of Moses and the Pharisees had actually put on them and they were under so much intense persecution and pressure that they'd actually started to forsake meeting together as followers of Jesus so much so that in Hebrews ten twenty five, the the writer exhorts them don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near can I encourage you this year yes can you have Uh, Time with Jesus by yourself, and that be rich and real and is absolutely necessary, of course. But I can encourage, but can I encourage you that there is nothing like being a part of a community of faith where we come together and be mutually uh, built up, exhorted, edified, and encouraged by corporate worship, by the word of God, by fellowship, by communion, by the prophetic word of the Lord? Can I encourage you this year in a culture where the trend? is to attend church once a month or once every few weeks just make a decision this year I'm locking in I'm locking in because if you're going to win this race of faith you've got to understand the power of the community of faith the community of faith is not about trying to control you it's about trying to empower you to follow Jesus it's trying to feed you and encourage you and disciple you and build the life of faith in you that you can when you're standing on your own two feet and away from this place still hold to the convictions of the word of God and the convictions of the spirit even in hostile persecuted work environments and things that are coming against you and so we've got to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day of Jesus drawing near and his return to planet earth. And so Hebrews was written to exhort believers to endure, to hold fast to their faith in Jesus. It's amazing the conclusions we draw about God when things don't go our way. It's amazing what we begin to believe about the church and about the Bible and about God when Something we were hoping and believing for doesn't work out in our time schedule. When the doctor's report comes in and we're like, you know, I I thought you were supposed to protect me from all this stuff, God. And the boss sits down and says, hey, we need to relook at your role and we're not sure that there's a a future in your role here in this organization and there's a mortgage and there's bills and there is a response when the person that maybe you're married to or you love and they say I don't love you anymore and they walk away and all of a sudden right there what we really believe about God starts to get tested. What we really hold fast to as our convictions comes under the the pressure cooker of life and so it's so important that you come to a place of resolution in your heart based upon the truth of God's word, that everything God does in our lives is about leading us into the glory and goodness of his nature. God is not the author of darkness in your life. And the enemy has deceived a lot of believers to get us to blame God for stuff that God is not responsible for. And then other times the enemy's not even responsible for. But we sabotage ourselves. And the enemy's like, don't blame me. I'm not actually the one that made that happen. Uh, but but so often we 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 aim the 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 gun, the rifle of our hearts and our language at the wrong person for what's going on in our lives. And so never draw a wrong conclusion about God based upon a contradiction of circumstance. When things aren't going the way you expect it or want it. You don't start to change your theology and 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 the 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 we all grow in our understanding of God, but let that contradiction cause you to run towards Jesus, not run away from Jesus. Run to the word of God. So often people go through hard stuff and they don't run to the church. They don't run to the word. They don't run to the prayer closet. They run away. No, if you're sick in your body, turn up to the healing meeting. If you're lonely and isolated and disconnected, turn up to the life group and start to build relationship. If you've got questions and you're struggling at in your faith, run to the house of God. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You want to know why a lot of believers have lost their joy and gladness? Because they've lost the awe and wonder of the house of God, of coming into the house of God. Lock in and say nothing, no matter what is going on, is going to stop me from pressing through into the fullness of the promises of God for my life this year. And so, just as Satan had launched an attack on these first century believers, you and I need to understand that our adversary of our soul has launched a full-scale attack on believers' faith in Jesus in this hour, and it looks like lots of different things. Here are some of the more familiar strategies of Satan. Uh, One is distraction. We are a culturally uh, generated society that is wrestling with culturally generated ADD, whether from tech devices to sports to entertainment to all sorts of options, there are so many options. We are paralysed in our ability to exercise our will to choose. Just anybody got Netflix and spend forty-five minutes looking for a TV show to watch, or is that just me? And and and, and you you almost paralysed. It's like how do you how do you? I'm told how do you stop a lion from attacking you? Uh, my answer is run the other direction. But apparently, you'd get a stool with multiple options of focus, and the lion doesn't know which one to go for, and it literally paralyzes his ability. All that raw power, the king of the jungle energy, is paralyzed by multiple options of focus. I want to tell you one of the keys this year is to keep your focus on the author and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. Another attack on believers is prejudice against orthodox biblical beliefs. Prejudice against believers. This happens in the workplace. It happens in media. It happens in society where you are labeled bigoted for holding to orthodox biblical beliefs. And what happens is when that pressure comes, believers step back from the plumb line of the word. I'm not too sure because the peer pressure is so great that we want to be approved of, that we want to, we, we're afraid of people's uh, lack of approval. And so we want to try and fit into the culture rather than living our life by the plumb line of the eternal word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall remain forever when he's speaking about the heavens, he's not talking about the third heaven where we're going to spend eternity. He's talking about the sky, the world as we know it, the heavens that we look up and see. It will pass away as we know it because God's bringing a new heaven and a new earth, but his word will remain forever. And so because of that prejudice, there is pressure to conform to the spirit of the world. And yet in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, don't be conformed in by the pattern of this world. Don't be squeezed into the mould or the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is God's good, pleasing and perfect will. People ask all the time, what is the will of God? Maybe we first of all need to, before we can test and discern God's will, we need our minds renewed with the truth of God's word and with how God thinks. If you want God's ways to become your ways, God's thoughts have to become your thoughts. We're going to begin to think like God. How do you do that? Well, it's not just about reading. It's not just about studying, but it's about the holistic approach of life centered around the truth of who God is and that truth in his word through worship, song, word, preaching, podcasts, discipleship, life groups, fashions, a way of thinking, a a good positive stronghold of kingdom thinking that begins to sharpen your discernment to know what is of God and what is of the flesh. Is this helping anybody today? Another common attack of the enemy is the temptations of flesh and the pride of life. Common, old school, the devil doesn't have anything new but the pride of life, the temptations of the flesh. 1 John 2.17 says, the world is passing away along with its desires. There's going to be a whole lot of people that have invested time, energy and resource into indulging the temptations of their flesh and the pride of life and realize they were building their life on sand. And they're going to stand before Jesus even some believers, and and yes, they may be going to heaven, but look back at their works, look back at their life, and realize everything I did was about me and my flesh and pleasing self, and it will be burnt up. And and and, and I just want to encourage you um, to to not to to actually get the help, the accountability, the wholeness that you need. That when that lustful thought, when that tempting opportunity comes. You are able to take captive that thought, bring it into subjection to Jesus Christ. We all wrestle with stuff, but it doesn't mean that you actually have to allow that to become an addictive behavior or to become something that destroys relationships, your integrity, and the purity of your heart. That's a true word, man. The enemy has launched against believers the deception of humanism and what I call gospel zero. Humanism is the idea that I am my own answer. I have everything that I need to solve my own problems. And with enough education and with enough self-will and enough effort, we can solve our world problems. I just want to say to the world, how's that going for you? How's that working out? Because we all hit COVID and realized um, we don't know what we're doing. We're seeing what's happening in Ukraine and Russia and, you know, we don't know what we're doing. And, And the problems of humanity cannot be resolved with the same thinking that created the problems in the first place. Then we have gospel zero. You've heard of Coke zero, Coke no sugar. Now you have alcohol zero, right, where you get the same taste but not the same kick, okay? And we know these things, Coke zero, alcohol zero. You know there's such a thing as gospel zero? It's a form of godliness without the power of godliness. It sort of sounds like it's in the ballpark of the gospel, but actually it's self-help motivational teaching. There's no such thing as self-help in the kingdom of God. If you could help yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need a savior. And you certainly wouldn't need the word of God. I tell people in our church all the time, put your self-help book down and pick up God's help. Pick up the word of the Lord. There will be, in fact, a lot of the principles of self-help, they're all based on Proverbs anyway. So you may as well go straight to the mouth of the Lord and get all of the presents and principles and ideas By the way, if you just get caught up in observing the principles of Proverbs and the wisdom writings, but don't encounter the living presence of the Holy Spirit, you just turn the observance of those things into religious works that bind you up even more. And so you can be a Christian, attend church, but be bound in the principle of your religious works. We need to understand that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, everybody needs to hear. That yes, Jesus is our Savior, and yes, Jesus' blood washes us clean from our sin. And yes, Jesus rose from the get the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death. But every person needs to understand that in order to access that by faith, you need to repent of your sin. You need to change your thinking and turn away from it and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to save me and I need you to, to sanctify me me by your spirit and I need you to actually draw me close to the Father's heart. I think one of the greatest attacks upon the church in this hour is complacency. It's where the enemy is actually causing us to leave our first love. Where I meet pastors and leaders, to be honest, they're more in love with the ministry than they are with Jesus. And it breaks your heart. And I look back at times, and as much as I loved Jesus 10, 20 years ago, there were moments where I was more enamored with ministry than I was with Jesus. I've since repented of that. At the end of the day, we it's an honor, it's a privilege, but we can take or leave this. But I can't ever walk away from him. There is such a burning hunger and passion in our hearts, in my heart for Jesus. Let us be known as the burning ones, the people that are on fire passionate for Jesus. And I want people to know that people at Numa are on fire for Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, not just to do ministry, but to draw close to the heart of God that we are so hungry for him and his presence. Revival doesn't come because you're good at ministry or hungry for ministry. Revival comes because we got hungry for him and the presence of the Lord and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so Revelation 2.5 to the church in Ephesus is one word that God is giving to us in this hour remember from where you have fallen and do the works you did at first. You're like, well, there's religious works for you. Oh, no. He's talking about the work, the ministry of intimacy. Come back to the Father's heart. Come back to your first love. And and posture your heart like a Mary at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. And 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 Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Your service is distracting you from the presence of Jesus. Come back to your first life. You want to know why the enemy has launched a full-scale attack against the church in this hour, and particularly churches that are in revival and are on the move. It's because with great advancement he's got to do something to try and slow us down do you think the enemy is going to just stand alongside give you a golf clap when you're getting closer to jesus and you're getting all this revelation out of the word and you're a part of a revival church that's moving forward and and, and, and breaking through into new, uh, you know, uh, regions and territories, not just geo, uh, geographically, but in the spirit. Do you think he's just going to stand alongside and be like, oh, it's just awesome what's happening at New Perth. It's <laughs> just fantastic. Uh, let, let, let's just, you know, devils, demons, let's just come around and just, apply. no, he's going to unleash hell. And it's like we get surprised right it's like why is this happening well it could be that it's a sign you're exactly on the right path could be could be that maybe you need to examine some things that maybe you're sabotaging yourself with but it could be that the enemy is trying i know since this revival the the full-scale attack against me and our church has increased whether it's on social media whether it's even brothers and sisters in other parts of the body of Christ, whether it's upon all, all sorts of things. And I've had to guard my heart from getting distracted by that. Many believers get all worked up and start to panic and get anxious about what other people are saying. No, if they're attacking you online, just delete it. Don't pay any attention to it. It's like Nehemiah, the, 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 the the conspirators are trying to get Nehemiah to get distracted from building the wall he says sorry speak to the elbow because the extension isn't worth it I I got a I got a job here I'm build I'm rebuilding the walls of a city and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to get distracted by the critics and the cynics because there are people's lives at stake there's a why the, we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this you're going to keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith." You cannot allow yourself, even with distractions of attack on your health and all sorts of things. I'm telling you, the devil gets scared of someone where it all goes pear-shaped, they still keep declaring, Jesus is Lord of my life. I am going to be healed. I, my business is going to come into the fullness of what God has for it. My family will be saved in Jesus' name. This church will have every provision it needs to do what God has called it to do. And when, when, when God finds someone that is a rewarder, is diligently seeking after him, he will reward that confession and posture of faith. So, how do we persevere through the attacks on our faith? We've actually got to develop faith with endurance. We've got to develop endurance in our faith. We've got to run with endurance and this is what the Hebrew writer says. He says, run with endurance. What does the word endurance mean? It means the power to continue. A course of action in spite of difficulty and opposition. I heard a great story about a Tanzanian marathon runner, John Aquari, who was a favourite to win at the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. He started in the lead pack for 10 kilometres. He fell and stumbled. There's a bit of argy-bargy. He hit the curb and he got injured and hurt himself, couldn't keep running, or so they thought. Lead pack went past, all the other runners went past, media went past. And an hour after the last uh, runner had finished, so they thought, John Aquari had kept running. And when he came into the stadium, he did his final lap as there was a few hundred people left in the stadium. And they're all clapping as he crossed the finish line. A reporter asked him, why did you keep on running? And he said, because my country did not send me to Mexico to start the race. My country sent me to Mexico to finish it. And I want to say to you today, God has not saved you, given you the gift of his Holy Spirit, anointed you with gifts Given you vision for your future, planted you in a healthy church for you to simply start the year and start the race of faith. He's actually called you to persevere through to the finish line. Have you ever watched school kids at a cross country race? Like I have watching my kids years ago in primary school, a few hundred kids are all at the starting line, four, five kilometer cross country race, and they all start like it's a hundred meter blue ribbon dash, right and they're all you know just roaring racing pushing shoving each other and after 200 meters kids are you know on the ground exhausted and other kids are wandering off look at fence palings and other kids are looking at snails kids are walking around picking their nose the parents are like pulling their hair out because they're living vicariously through their kids performance or is that just me and so you know focus run get on his heels and 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 where but the kids are like And as I'm watching this unfold, the Spirit of God says to me, son, immaturity travels at an unsustainable pace. The the less mature we are in the things of the Spirit, the more we don't understand that whilst passion will get you out of the blocks, endurance will help you finish the race. It's great that you, you know, had an amazing start in God and, And had all these amazing things happen but what about now what about the next year what about the next decade of your walk with god if jesus doesn't return it'll be perseverance and endurance that will help you finish the race if you're tired of starting over in life stop quitting and endure a lot of ever get sick of the reset button it's like, you know, you start a fitness program, you start a new nutrition diet, whatever, and after 48 hours, oh, I'm sick of that, and you hit the reset button. You start this, you start this new hobby, you start whatever, you start the Bible reading plan, oh, I'm tired of it, and you quit. If you're tired of starting over, just stop quitting. And even when you don't feel like it, persist. The revival that's happening in our church Now, particularly when we're going through COVID, I want to tell you, everything we're walking in right now did not look like that during COVID. There was nothing going on. or so we thought in the natural, but in the spiritual there was. But we decided we're going to mobilize around prayer. We're going to do what we can online over Zoom groups. Whatever we can do, we're going to do because we're going to come out of this. Everyone's like, this is the end. No, we're going to come out of this. And we're actually going to come out on the other side stronger, more focused, more intentional. And now we're walking in someone because someone decided we're persevering, we're persisting. Nearly now they tell us nearly hundred thousand people left Victoria during that season. It's interesting. I was at the Australian Prophetic Summit early January, and all the prophets had a word for Victoria and was saying, "All of you who've left Victoria, get back in your car and get home." Why? Because there's going to be a mighty outpouring of the Spirit in the next several uh, years. That you think by escaping something you're actually, you know, uh, uh, missing out and gone to the Promised Land. I want to tell you, God specializes in redeeming and restoring the years that the locusts and cankerworm have eaten in our lives, in our businesses, and in our families. So how do we grow endurance in our faith? A few keys, and then we're going to pray together. Firstly, get inspired by the heroes of faith. Say, where is that in the text? Verse 1, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance. Now, there's been lots of erroneous teaching around the great cloud of witnesses and we've been told by different preachers and teachers that the great cloud of witnesses are watching us run our race of faith. Well, I did some study into this and I actually also asked the Holy Spirit because he's he's a pretty good uh, voice to to, to talk to. And and as I studied and mirrored that and, and married that up with the voice of the Lord, I said, Lord, is there really like Abraham and Moses and Elijah and Mary and Joseph and you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all just hanging around, got nothing better to do in heaven, but hanging around just watching us mess up here on planet earth. Is that—is that really what's going on? And the Lord says to me, don't be silly, son, they're too busy, captivated, and looking at me to worry about you. Because if there is angels around the throne, they look at, get a glimpse of Jesus and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they bow down and they get another glimpse. And for all eternity, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Do you really think Moses and Elijah, he's just hanging around looking at what the church is doing right now? No, they're not because they've got better things to do in heaven than to do that. Now, if they're dispatched like at Mount Transfiguration for a purpose, God knows when they need to come and enter into the human story. But you know what that passage is talking about? It's saying Moses, Abraham and Elijah, they've actually run their race of faith and now they've handed the baton to us. And now we are running our leg of the race of faith. And we can learn and be inspired by their example and, and see where they've gone and what they've learned and what they've discovered. And now we are to run our race of faith. This is why you need to read good books about generals of the faith. Don't just read your Bible, read about Smith Wigglesworth, read about God's generals and, and Maria woodworth Edda, and Amy Semple McPherson and John Alexander Dowie and and, and William Branham and and Oral Roberts and Billy Graham and read about heroes of the faith that inspire us, read about Brother Jung, the heavenly man, who was trapped nine months in a box underground, getting suffocated every day and yet was singing in the spirit, singing praise and worship choruses in his native tongue for nine months and now travels the world sharing the story of what God has done. I need to get inspired by that. So you get inspired by heroes of faith. Secondly, you lose weight. You say, what are you talking about? I'm not advertising for light and easy. This is not an advertisement for light and easy. I'm not talking about physical weight, although being healthy is a good thing. I'm not talking about that. The Bible says, lay aside the weights. It means obstructions, impediments, hindrances. It actually draws a distinction between weights and sin so it tells me that you can have things in your life that are even good not sin but they slow you down what are the weights what are the things that are holding you back and slowing you down right now in this season of your life you know one of the words the Lord said to me late last year was son I want you to strip back I had an Indian man come up at a conference I never met him before. And he looks at me and he says, the word of the Lord to you is stripped back. And he walked off. I'm like, well, that's helpful. What do I do with that? Does he want me to strip off? I mean, what, what what am I doing here? You know, and seriously, I went to God and I'm like, God, okay, what does this mean? And the Lord said, well, you told me to father, you asked me to father you. And now I've got my scalpel and now I'm going deep into your heart and I'm fathering you. And one by one, God began to help me identify good things in my life that he was saying, son, you need to strip back. You need to let go of. They're good, but I've got something better for you. How do we grow endurance in our faith? We repent of habitual sin. The writer says, not only lay aside the weights, but the sin which clings so closely. What's that? That's sin that's habitual. There are sins we commit when once in a blue moon, We've had a, gone through a really bad season. There's pressures, all sorts of things going on in life. And we go, I shouldn't have talked like that or spoken like that. We get angry, et cetera, et cetera. Those things happen. But then there's other sins which clings closely and is like habitual. It could be a cynical, critical spirit. It could be unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone that has hurt us. It could be lust or an addictive behavior. And he's saying, you need to lay that aside. You need to repent of that. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. What is the sin which clings so closely that tonight you actually need to just lay down and ask for forgiveness and say, God, I'm repenting of that. Because if you're going to persevere this year, you got to let go of some stuff. you got to repent of some stuff. And lastly, the climax of the Hebrews writing to these Jewish believers, he says, if you're going to endure, if you're going to run this race of faith, you've got to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. I want to encourage you this year to stare at Jesus long enough until he transforms you. I tell people, you've got a problem with pride? Just stare at Jesus long enough until the humility of Christ begins to change a prideful heart. You've got a problem with anger? Let the loving tenderness and kindness of Jesus begin to minister by his spirit into your heart. And that's why if you want to, have a picture of who God is, look at Jesus, read the gospels and allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes at Jesus. And then not just read the gospels, but then in worship, ask God to open the eyes of your heart, that you would see Jesus, whatever you behold, you become. As we behold his glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. How do you become more like Jesus? You just stare at him. You worship him, spend time with him. Whoever you spend time with the most, you will become like. It's such a simple but powerful truth, and yet we've forgotten it. We spend so much time with so many other things, and we wonder why all this stuff comes out. What if we were just to say, no, 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 I'm going to spend time with you, Lord. I'm going to stare at you. I'm going to worship. I'm going to be intimate. I'm going to read about you. God, would you change me? Would you make me more like Jesus? I want you to stand to your feet tonight. And as we come into this moment, I, I want you to hear this tonight because I believe this is a word for, for the, from the Lord for not just you individually, yeah, thanks team, But for but for this location, particularly, specifically. This is why I'm preaching it. Numa Perth, God would not call you to persevere this year if there wasn't a promise to possess this year. He would not call you to persevere. He's not playing a game with you. He's not teasing you. He's not holding a, a carrot out in front of you, but you can never catch it. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Why would God speak to you, call you to pursue a promise and to persevere if he didn't want you to possess it and fulfill it? And right now in this moment, as our eyes are closed and maybe you might just want to lift your hands and just allow the Holy Spirit to come and minister to your spirit, The word of the Lord to you tonight is you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what he has promised you. I declare over you tonight. I declare over Numa, Perth in both locations and particularly for this location. I declare that this is a year where you will possess the promises of God for your life And for this house, I declare that this is a year you won't quit and give up and say it's too hard and have to start all over again in 2024. But we make a decision collectively and personally tonight, oh God, that Lord, we will persevere by the power of the Holy Spirit, by your rich, lavish grace. That is sufficient for us and it makes us strong in the midst of our weakness. That we won't surrender, walk away and go, it's too hard. But even in the challenge, even in the contradiction, even in the difficulty, oh God, we will hold on to you. God, are you, you're reminding someone in this room tonight, they may be in a storm, but Jesus, you're still in the boat with them. And God, we refuse to allow the wind and the waves around us to distract us from the promise and the hope that we have in Jesus. And I'm praying tonight, O oh God, that by your spirit, you would add spiritual grit and resilience into every heart. I'm praying, O oh God, that you grow us and mature us in our faith, that we would persevere through every wall and every obstacle, And every attack of the enemy that comes because, Lord, the stakes are too high. There's too much good on the other side of the wall. There's an eternal crown of righteousness that is waiting for us. There are promises to possess. God's intention for Israel was not to spend 40 years in the wilderness. He only wanted an 11-day journey and then to walk into the promised land. And Father, I'm asking, don't let a generation die out before we possess the fullness of the promise in Jesus Christ. Because I want to let everybody know in this room the promised land is Jesus. It's not a church, it's not even revival. The promised land is Jesus. He is the gift, He is the eternal reward. That's why we've got to look to Him. He endured the cross, He despised the shame because he had a joy that was set before him that joy was you and I being reconciled and restored back to the father that joy was you and I being cleansed and healed and made right with our heavenly father thank you for joining us for this message today we don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your lord and savior